The Lord has spared us another year in which celebrations will take place of our civil and religious liberty which we enjoy in this land. Those battles are remembered of old where the enemy sought to come in and take away those basic rights of everyone in this country. But we thank God for those who stood in the gap, for those who stood up to the cause, not least the 13 apprentice boys in Derry. And they shut the gates before the men of King James. Because men and women, without those 13 apprentice boys, there wouldn't have been an Ockram or an Enniskillen or the Boyne. We rejoice in God's mercies so that we might meet in a place of worship in a public fashion such as we do today. That is the reason behind the church services. That is the reason behind the marching by the loyal orders. That's the reason for the celebrations at this time of the year in our province. But sadly, one would be excused in thinking that those things those, re- those marches, those services, etc., were for another very different reason altogether. For indeed there's something of which has crept in more and more, which is ruining this part of our glorious heritage. And while I am well aware that there, this is something today that I'm dealing with, which many a member of the loyal order is against, And in a sense, I'm preaching maybe to the church choir. Yet it is something that is a plague. And it's a curse, nevertheless, in our land. What is it to which I'm referring to? What's the curse and the blight of every band parade? To the extent that many God-fearing fathers or mothers have no longer any heart to take their children to it. What is it indeed that is the curse throughout our homes and our province, whether it's Protestant, Roman Catholic, or whatever? I'll tell you what it is. It's what the Bible describes as strong drink. It is the alcohol that increasingly has been consumed in greater measures and amounts than by younger children than ever before. It is that which is widely available. Not only in the public houses and the licensed premises, not only in the off-licenses, but which is available now in your supermarket aisles. And in this drinking culture that this land is blighted with, what makes things worse is that there seems to be a confusing of the issue where many of God's people are concerned. How should strong drink be viewed by the believer? Should our guide be taken by what the world thinks of it? by what society accepts, by what governments legislate for, or should authority in this matter, as in all other matters, be taken by what the Word of God says. Strong drink is what I desire, therefore, to take as our subject this morning. I want you to consider firstly with me strong drink in the Scriptures. We seek to rightly divide the word of truth on this matter It must be noted that in the Scriptures is a reference made to that which is alcoholic drink and that which isn't or wasn't. Having said that, I don't believe that the alcoholic drink of those Bible times 
and anywhere near the strength that the drink industry produces today. Indeed, the process of distilling drink only originates back as far as about 750 years ago. So the strong drink of the Bible is something inherently different from the present-day liquor. But nevertheless, where there is a distinction in the Bible, it shows there's a difference between that which contained, that which was fermented, and contained alcohol, and that which didn't. And that will become obvious, I believe, even the further as we progress in our message this morning. I have a book, as I send to one of the elders on the way in, I have a book in the study, and it's called The Genus Spirit. The Guinness Spirit. And you can nearly imagine, uh, work out from the title what the book's about. It's about Guinness. And Arthur Guinness, the founder of Guinness, had the open Bible on his desk in his office. And his motive in bringing into being Guinness, as we know it today, although it's, I don't believe what he expected it would turn out to be, but he brought it in against the hard whiskey drinking of that age. And if you read that book, it will show you that there is a, a, a godly line right throughout that family. In fact, one of the descendants of the Guinness family was used in the uh, 1859 revival in our land. He's called Grattan Guinness. And there's another line of the family went into jewelry, into gold, and another line of the family went into the, the booze. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good read. But there is a, a, an example where a man was bringing something into being as an alternative to, to the even stronger stuff that was available. But when we consider strong drink, then we're upon something which God has much to say about throughout the Scriptures. And where strong drink was concerned, there primarily are the warnings given against it. If you look, for example, in that part of the Bible which is often referred to as the law of Moses, we're in it in our study in Moses, of course, uh, in the book of Exodus, but I'm thinking this morning of the book of Numbers. Numbers is still part of the books of Moses, the first five books. And the chapter 6 particularly, therein are found the various laws concerning the one who is to be a Nazarite unto the Lord. And one of those laws for the Nazarite was that he was not to partake of wine or of strong drink. I'll just read one verse or two to you. Chapter 6, verse 3. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. So there's a little distinction even within the words of that verse. Verse 4. All the days of his separation shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. And that was one distinction, one difference that the Nazarite took and vowed unto the Lord, that they would not partake of the, the juice of the grape. They would not partake of the strong drink. And the teaching is obvious there. It is not to partake of wine or strong drink. It is not to, that we should deal with it moderately. But rather, there was to be an abstaining of it totally, even in, in the terms of the Nazarite. And the reason being that he might be more free, that he might be fit for the service of God, for prayer, for meditation, for the reading of the Scriptures, and attendance unto the worship of God in all its aspects. And that he would be less liable even to the temptation to sin. 
And if I can take that little thought a bit further, the best example of that, of course, that, that comes to mind, no doubt, will be that of Samson. And I'm not going into the background, of course. Uh, boys and girls will even have heard and know about Samson from their Sunday school days. But Samson we read about in the book of Judges. And how he was wrong. And even going down to Timnath through the vineyards. He went to Timnath by means of the vineyards. And he was already on that slippery slope as far as his Nazarite separation unto God was concerned. Why? Because he was putting himself in the very place of temptation. And surely it is symbolic and it is worthy of note that it was while he was going through those vineyards that he was to meet a lion. And men and women, young person, children, be sure, understand that in the place of strong drink, there is where you'll find the devil. That's, where, that's why the exhortation is given in 1 Peter 5. For it says to be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The child of God is to be on their guard as far as strong drink of the world is concerned. But while such a warning is given in the books of the law, it is also found in the books of the Hebrew Bible that is known as the Psalms. And I take you to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20 and the words of verse 1. It says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It's not merely speaking about the effects of wine or of strong drink. It is the wine. It is the strong drink itself which is the mocker and which is the deceiver. And the warnings are found in the part of God's word that is known also as the prophets as we have read this morning. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 11. It says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. The woe of heaven is upon them. And men and women, sadly for many of our people, those words will be a summary of Tuesday morning coming. Those words will be a summary of the 12th of July celebrations from early morning. There's a seeking after the strong drink. It seems to be the necessity for the rest of the day. Listen, to rise up early in the morning is helpful. To rise up early to do business is commendable. But to spend the day in drunkenness and intemperance is criminal. Woe, the woe of heaven is upon the man or woman given to rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. And those who should be standing aloof from the strong drink are also found to be guilty of indulging in it and thereby their judgment is affected for the worse. Isaiah 28. And the words of verse 7 says this, 
but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. It meant that they were unfit for the duties of their office and were guilty of mistakes in the performance of it. The priests, the prophets, and the kings, they were not to be found at the strong drink. They were rather to be the example that they set before the people. But for those who did, then they were out of the way of God. They were out of the way of His Word and out of the way of truth and of godliness. And so it is abundantly clear that the message which the Scriptures convey with regard to strong drink is not one of compromising with it or of handling it in moderation as so many purport to do today. But rather such are its dangers that the message was one of abstinence and being on guard against it and its allurements. I remind you that the scriptures which are God's infallible word and which are truth from cover to cover are our final word of authority on faith and in practice. And God's word has much to say to us against strong drink. Strong drink in the scriptures. What about strong drink and its deception? Not only are we bombarded with the adverts for it, but they are such that unless you have the bottle of wine, or unless you have the strong drink, then you'll not have happiness. That's what they portray. You see, the PR machine of the devil is top class. It's top of the class. The promise of the world is that there's happiness where there's the drink. And when you have this drink, then you'll have friends. And you'll have fun. And you'll have company and all that's missing in your life. That's what's betrayed. Men and women, when we give due and serious consideration to the Scriptures, the very opposite is found to be the truth. Instead of happiness, there's sorrow. And the prevailing message of strong drink is that it deceives. And to prove the case in point, I want to come and bring you to, back to Proverbs. Proverbs 23. I want you to read with me the words of verse 29. Proverbs is a book which is up to date as the rest of the scriptures are. Verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? And the questions are asked. And the answer then is given. They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. You see a man who's the babblings. You see someone who's the wounds and he doesn't know how he got them. You see someone with the redness of the eyes. Telltale signs are there. Verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
Thine eyes shall behold strange women, thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt I say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. There is a soul of the drink. It is that which arises to bite like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. There's a description of the glass of strong drink. Aye, and how it has deceived many a man into thinking that he's living life to the full. When he has the booze of the world. How he has deceived many a man into drinking away what money he might have had. It's not the first time that many a man has lost a farm because of the booze. Deceived, you see, by the devil's liquor. And I take that thought a little further. For if we give close attention to the Scriptures, you'll come to understand that strong drink is that which is the precursor or the forerunner to sin. Drink, it has been proven among many drug addicts, was the gateway drug to get them down that road to get them started on that road. You listen to our brother Chris Killen, he will tell you the same time and time again. It's the alcohol that is the gateway drug into the harder drugs of this world. Here's something which deceives, which is the very reason for many being led further into sin. But I don't have to go to the statistics of the world to see that. I just need to go to the Scriptures. You know, when we're studying any important study, any important word, it's always good that we look at the first mention of it. I brought that out to our Bible class uh, some time back. And by doing so, if you go to the first mention of it in the Scriptures, then it gives you the best start for a complete and a comprehensive study of what God has declared with regard to any particular subject. And so we apply that uh, to our study this morning. Where's the first mention made of it? We've only got to go as far as Genesis in chapter 9 where strong drink is mentioned. Genesis chapter 9, you'll find the first time it's spoken about. Verse 20, it is after the flood when Noah and his family came out of the ark. And it says, and Noah began to be an husband man and he planted a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. The next verse tells us what happened. He drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. There's the first mention. But don't leave that just for a moment. Because read with me verse 24. And Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. I'm sure you've read that before. Do you ever consider what it meant, what it means? That sin brought about the curse upon the family of Canaan. Maybe I should read 23 with you just to give you the whole context. And Shem and Jabbath took a a garment, laid it up upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. This is when they found him lying uncovered in the tent. And the two sons do the honorable thing. 
But 24 says, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Verse 25, sorry, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be he be unto his brethren. And I'm sure you've read the verse, but did you ever ask what it was? You see, that sin, men and women, is so heinous and so vile and of the worst sort that there's a veil put over it. So that we're not given the detail of what his younger son did to his father Noah. When he was drunken with wine and he lay uncovered in his own tent. When Noah woke up, he knew what he had done. The first mention of strong drink in the Bible warns us that it leads to other sin. And that is how we also find it in the next instance, the second time in which it is mentioned. You go this time to Genesis 20, uh, sorry, Genesis 19. It's not unrelated to what I've read with you in Genesis 9. For this time, it is the daughters of Lot who had fled with their righteous father to the cave. They thought they were the only ones left after the destruction of the cities of the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they proceeded to commit another heinous sin. It's what we know today as incest with their father. But to enact their plan, to carry out their sin, they first of all had to ply him with drink. Verse 32. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Strong drink is a deceiver. And is that which leads to other sins. It is particularly associated with nakedness and with immorality of the worst kind. And if you haven't got Genesis 9, I think I've said enough. It is related to what we've read there in chapter 19. Now turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'll give you another example where it leads to other sins. 2 Samuel 13 verse 28. You'll note that it is here associated with another sin, that of murder and of the taking of life. Absalom was to have a cunning plan set. A plan that would mean that he would lure Ammon, the king's son, to be killed at the time of the sheep shearing. But for that plan to be enacted again, the first thing that had to be in place, you'll notice verse 28, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Ammon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, smite Ammon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. The evidence is overwhelming that where there's the use of strong drink, there follows the violence. There follows the evil deeds that was concocted in the heart. There follows the immorality, the broken homes and the hearts and the murders of this world. Why? Because that's the testimony of the Scriptures. Consider that strong drink deceives because of the pain that is felt. 
The promise might be of a good time, of laughter and of happiness and of company, but when the true story is unveiled, the facts suggest a very different picture. I read some time ago, the statistics have shown that a third of all divorces are drink-related. And what of the homes where there's a scarceness of food? What of the homes where there's devoid of love for the children due to the drinking habits of a parent? The adverts don't tell you those things. What of the abuse and the pain that is inflicted on those at home when the drinker returns? That's how deceiving the strong drink of this world is. And how some might say, oh, but if people would only drink in moderation, then this pain wouldn't be felt. But what they fail to realize is that such behavior starts with the first glass. It starts with the first bottle. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Take it to heart. But then I must come to strong drink and the Christian. For having noted what the Bible has to say about this matter, one would think that for the believer that it's cut and dried. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion over the matter. Scriptures speak of its dangers. Even though the alcoholic drink of the Bible times was not the strength that is processed today, even though it often was in short supply and only found in lavish circles of the kings and the princes and such like. It may be that's the context behind John chapter 2. You'll come with me to John 2. Because there we read about the marriage supper at Cana of Galilee. That's a lovely passage. We're not told the name of the groom or the bridegroom, but we're told the Lord was there. That's the best of all. The Lord's presence was there. And yet it was a marriage feast which runs out of the drink. And where the Lord was to change the water into wine, but I desire to show you clearly that the modernist and those who excuse their wine drinker have no grounds in doing so by such a passage. For when wine is mentioned in the Scriptures, then as I said to you back a little piece, it can either mean alcoholic fermented wine, but it may also refer to that which is freshly pressed grapes of the vine. We might liken it to a good fruit juice. In the Bible it's called new wine. Let me read just a couple of verses to back it up. Proverbs chapter 3, in the words of verse 10, it simply says this, Shall not thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine? The presses, of course, were the wine presses. And so if you can picture 
boys and girls, young people, adults, the grapes were gathered from the vineyard and they were brought to this area where the wine press was. And they were through into what might be uh, considered as a rectangular uh, box-like thing. Container, that's the word. And at one side, there would have been a little chute, a little outlet. But what happened was the man who lifted the grapes, he would jump in and he would trample them down. And by doing so, he was bursting, of course, the grapes. And what happened to the juice? It ran out the outlet. And it was collected. And that is the picture there. The barn shall be filled with plenty. Thy presses shall burst out. But you see how it's described? It's described as new wine. But that wouldn't make you drunk because it's a fresh grape juice. Isaiah chapter 65. And we have another. Verse 8. Isaiah 50, 65 verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, still in the grape, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. You see, that's how the Lord describes even the fruit juice. It's called new wine in the Bible. You couldn't get drunk in the new wine. And I believe that's where the Lord changed the water into wine on this occasion. Do you note the amount? John chapter 2 and the words of verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. Remember John is writing to instruct the Gentiles. And while the Jews would have understood this, the Gentiles had to be taught containing two or three firkins apiece. The measure of a firkin was equivalent to nine gallons. Multiply that by six pots. And you do your maths, you're back in the maths class, you have 54, and then multiply that by two or three firkins, and you have well over 100 gallons of wine. The Lord, you see, can do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But do you think the Lord would make fermented wine which would cause men to be mindless and in doing so go against his own word? You might say, what do you mean? I mean Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Woe unto him. The Lord did no such thing. I believe he made freshly pressed juice. And it was the very best. And he made it out of water. So therefore there's no justification for a man to be at the strong drink in the Bible that the Bible describes by the words of John chapter 2. There's no justification either to be found from 1 Timothy 5. You've often heard this, I'm sure. Drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Paul's writing to the uh, believer, uh, Timothy, his young son in the faith. What they don't do is they don't quote the start of that verse. For 1 Timothy 5 and 23 says, 
drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. Medicinal purposes back in the Bible times. The context is the water wasn't good. Even if you go to the Easties days into the Bible lands or around that, you go on holidays. What do you do? You don't stick your, your I was going to say your gob under the, uh, under the tap. Uh, that's the old porty down coming out. You don't drink the water, you go and buy it. You just be careful. And that's the context in which Paul is giving his admonition even to Timothy. Drink no longer water, Timothy. It's not doing your, your health any good. So there's no justification by that verse of being able to have a little wine with your meal. But while the position and drink for the child of God ought to be clear, and it ought to be of total abstinence, Yet over the past number of years, there has been the growing number who believe that it is all right to take it in small doses. To preach against it. To declare that we should abstain from it. That's only legalism of the highest sort, they would say. There's no... There is the compromised position held by many church-going people and those who profess faith that it is quite all right to have the wine and the strong drink of the devil, and yet live for God at the same time. In the light of what we've already studied, let me ask you, do you believe that God would have us lead others into sin? You see, the words of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 22 give us a strong exhortation to abstain, not merely from evil. It doesn't say that. It says, abstain from all appearance of evil. God has saved his people that he would be those, they would be those who deny the ungodliness and the worldly lusts. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And for the man that offers his neighbor strong drink, the woe of heaven is upon him. That's why I believe, among other reasons, that the Savior did not turn the water into fermented wine. But dear child of God, our testimony is important. And that means abstaining from that which is evil lest it become an occasion for the Lord's name to be blasphemed among the devil's crowd. Lest it become the very hindrance of a soul seeking God and his wonderful salvation. Lest it become a stumbling block for a young believer who knows what it is to have been at the drink, who knows what it is to be in drunken and in the public house, and yet they turn around and they maybe see someone who professes Christ. Our testimony is important. Thank God we don't need to have the drink of this world to have happiness. But with the child of God we can identify with the hymn writer when they said, Now none but Christ can satisfy none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. Christ is all that we need. 
There is the strong drink that is needful for the child of God. Oh, you're a preacher, you're contradicting yourself now. No, I'm not. For that which the apostle speaks about is found in Ephesians 5 and 18. He says, and be not drunk with wine, but be filled, wherein is access, but be filled with the Spirit. The wine of God's Holy Spirit is what we need to be filled with in these days. And that means being under his control, being under his sway. That means having a different walk. Not the walk of shame or of sham. Not the walk of pretense. Not the talk of merely going through the motions of religion or some religious exercise, but that which is well-pleasing with God, the walk and the talk that is by faith, and it is guided by the Holy Spirit. Tell me, is that what your walk and talk is daily? Is that your walk this morning or is that the fullness today that you've experienced and you want to experience tomorrow and the next day and the following day? Can I say a word just in closing to the unconverted? I would that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. I would that you would drink of that life-giving water from which you will never thirst. That's what Christ preached even in the temple in Jerusalem. There are the waters of God's salvation. There are the blessings that are found only in the person and the work of the Savior's atoning death on the cross. The one who cried on the cross, I thirst. Do you ever think of that? There's a message in itself. That wasn't just a, a, a mere craving of some liquids into the body. Christ cried, I thirst. He was expressing the torments of a lost sinner's hell that he was bearing, that he was enduring for his own people as he died on the cross. You know why? Because Luke 16, the rich man, he cries, he prays that a drop of water be placed on his tongue for he was thirsty. Christ, men and women, young people on the cross, he paid our hell for us that we would never have to go there. That's why he cried, I thirst. While God's Spirit is striving with you this morning, I wonder will you not turn from your sin? I wonder will you turn unto Christ and be saved and drink of that everlasting spring? That's the strong drink I want you to drink. I pray that you might even do so. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts this morning.